That was Lord Huron uh, that will be playing July 31st at Outlaw Field. And this is the Big Ten on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. I'm your host today, Luke Fowler, here with uh, my co-host, Jackley Kettler. And we're here from uh, the School of Public Service at Boise State. And we have one of our most frequent and favorite guests coming back, Monica Hubbard, who's also a colleague of ours, School of Public Service. How are you doing today, Monica? I'm doing terrific. How about you? I'm doing well. And listen, I'm really excited for today's show because we're going to talk about one of the most pressing, exciting, dramatic news stories of the year, meth gators. That's right. I said meth gators as in gators that are hopped up on meth. We realize that the you know molar uh, testimony was yesterday, but we think the more pressing topic is meth gators. Well, nothing excited to happen in those hearings, and everybody was generally disappointed. But how can meth gators be disappointing, right? Meth gators are never disappointing. And uh, this is not a horror movie or some type of side effect. This is real. A police department in Tennessee, I believe, was tweeting about not throwing your uh, crystal meth down the toilet because it creates meth gators. Uh, so, well, Monica, as an expert on both meth gators and pharmaceuticals and a lot of <laughs> other things dealing with our environment, is here to explain this to us in greater detail. So tell us, how, do, how does meth getting flushed affect gators? First of all, I want to say thank you for not saying I'm an expert in meth, because <laughs> I'm not, but I am an expert in meth gators. And actually what uh, the Tennessee uh, Police Department is really trying to say is don't flush your pharmaceuticals because it does have impacts. And uh, I love what they did just because it got a lot of notice and on a topic most people don't think about. Yeah, and so what? What's kind of the issue here? What, you know, what? Why might we be resulting in meth gators or other you know, other impacts on life, 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 um, wildlife? Well, it's it's not even just wildlife. That's the concern. The concern is flushing unused pharmaceuticals or putting them in the trash that leads to impacts uh, not just to organisms uh, it also it's uh, water quality impacts soil quality impacts potential human health impacts and so on and it's even something we've seen here in idaho really absolutely and um, unfortunately we do not have gators yet (laughs) but we do have species in idaho that could be affected and already have been affected by pharmaceuticals being flushed down the toilet or thrown in the trash any examples absolutely Uh, our friendly and healthy not always so healthy fish a lot of aquatic species have been impacted by unused pharmaceuticals being flushed a lot not just fish but um frogs everything uh, birds of prey so when you talk about these impacts what like what do we actually mean here are they just is it killing their ecosystem is it i mean i'm sure with fish people then eat it does it have does it then impact humans like well what do we actually mean by these impacts is what, it just like oh wait it's bad that it's happening or like what do we actually see here well it is bad it's happening obviously and as far as like aquatic species primarily fish what we're seeing is like uh one probably the biggest one we hear about is called feminization of male fish that's right fish will lose their testicles in a way and uh, die or become feminized and really lose the ability to reproduce. And we've seen this especially near wastewater treatment systems. So that's probably the biggest one we hear about. Uh, Others include uh, changes in um, the way 
uh, aquatic species interact and so on. And, and we see it in the sludge and particulate matter within the soil and in the aquatic system. So when it ends up in the aquatic systems, these species who have to be there all the time or can be heavily impacted depending where they are. And is this, are, does it raise concerns that these species may actually die out if, if they're having problems reproducing? Or Well, I, that's a great question. Will they die out? Uh, we haven't seen quite that impact yet and hopefully we will not. But, you know, when we start thinking about Idaho and the Pacific Northwest, we are really dealing with the challenges of uh, endangered species and primarily salmon. We're trying to get these salmon species to recover and they run into so many challenges. But then let's throw in the fact that they're having to live in an environment that could be uh, laced with unused pharmaceuticals and what we often call unused pharmaceuticals we now the term is like active pharmaceutical ingredient these ingredients that are still active in the system and these i mean these they're getting in the system because humans are putting them there right yeah that's that's probably the biggest thing of course humans will ingest them and then uh, metabolize them but how they're metabolized it really varies on the actual pharmaceutical, but the big challenge is just people dump them either in the trash or in their sewer line to get rid of them. And, you know, you think, well, it can't be that much, but there's been studies that found uh, about 60% of people's unused drugs are flushed or thrown away into the trash. And when you start thinking about unused drugs, there have been studies that found that 98% of the U.S. population does not use all their drugs. Hmm. That's real. That's very high. It's it's a really high amount, and a little bit of those drugs go a long way. And some are are really persistent. They just don't break down in the environment. Have there been any like policies or government action to try to help address this issue? That is a great question, and <laughs> the answer is um kind of. <laughs> we'll call it that. So it's really a political. Uh, an interesting situation what's happening with pharmaceutical drugs really where the policies and efforts to reduce those drugs being disposed has been happening like on a state and local level but they run into problems and the number one problem is the controlled substances act and so these these communities are trying to make it easier for people to basically dispose of their drugs without flushing them but um, due to the controlled substances act they run into that barrier and can't really develop take back programs uh, and so those have essentially been shut down and of course there's some politics in play by some big actors around but what the federal government has done or did in 2014 I believe is amend the Controlled Substances Act a little bit to try to make it easier for people to dispose of their pharmaceuticals at a pharmacy, the problem is that really uh, requires the pharmacies to go through a lot of steps in order to take these drugs back. And by far, the vast majority of pharmacies haven't done it. And so that's one. The other is they, they do a couple, the DEA, Drug Enforcement, uh, does a couple take-back programs a year in some communities. Okay, so there's a few potential options. Maybe your pharmacy will take them, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or there's some, like the DEA or someone mm-hmm. may potentially take them. But they, these sound not regular options. So it, it sounds challenging if a person wants to actually dispose of their leftover drugs. Just to kind of give you an example, uh, 
when I basically ran the numbers last, and that was this spring, there was one pharmacy in Ada County, one retail pharmacy in Ada County that took these drugs back. And uh, apparently uh, their take back option is often full. <laughs> and so you could go there with this great attention, uh, intention to deal with it, and you can't, can't. Well, that would be frustrating. Yes. So um, maybe give them to the meth, maybe give them to the gators. I don't know. It's getting to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's just be clear that the people here at the Big Tent and Radio Boise do not advocate giving drugs to gators or any other wildlife. Uh, yeah, that's probably a good thing to say. Yeah, just yeah. throw that out there. Just Monica does, just to be clear. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, this has already been a fascinating discussion. Um, Stick with us. Monica will continue to be here with us, but we're going to take a quick break here on the Big Tent. Hey, this is Michael Franti, and you're listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM. We're back on the Big Ten on Radio Boise, and we're here uh, talking to Monica Hubbard today. Uh, it started with meth gators, but now we're just talking about pharmaceuticals and how to dispose of them, because those are linked somehow. Uh, so what it sounds like to me, Monica, is a lot of people are flushing drugs down the toilet or throwing in the garbage. It's entering, uh, ending up in our ecosystems. It's really messing with wildlife. But even if we wanted people not to flush them down the toilet, it sounds like there's not good options. So people are just kind of doing it because they don't know what else to do. Is that a, a good summary? That is an excellent summary. And in fact, uh, so many people are perplexed, and, and that includes myself most of the time, is the fact that uh, what to do with them, they don't know. And so they uh, essentially stockpile them. And in fact, uh, DEA talks a bit about the stockpile effect and then how actually that can impact some of um the society overall just because you're holding on to them well and especially if it's opioids or you know painkillers then mm-hmm. you've got concerns about having those just in the house and- absolutely and a, a really big challenge too is just um, unintentional poisoning uh, mm-hmm. with children and adults uh, often and i think about 300 children go to the hospital every year and two die or every day and two die from unintentional poisoning. And usually that is attributed to uh, a drug that they find within the house. So uh, stockpiling is also not good. So, wow, I mean, I, I've, I think it's interesting. There's lots of things out there in the media of the last couple of years about how we over prescribed drugs or a lot of different type of drugs the opioid uh, epidemic is clearly one of the biggest examples but there's also really good stuff out there about antibiotics now we've created superbugs and all this but i've never like the the conversation on the other side which is that what happens when we just end up with people having tons of prescriptions around their house i know i i've had some that from a year or two ago that i'm just like oh i'm done with this this these pills like i'm done with this antibiotic like what do i do with them now right um so what what do we do about this? Like, what is the the policy problem here? Like, how do we solve this, Monica? Well, really, the, the policy problem is it's just not enough options for people to properly dispose of them. And DEA tried to deal with that a little bit again uh, with this Safe and Secure Drug, Respon- Drug Disposal Act. Uh, the challenge is it really, really, again, was up to the pharmacies, retail pharmacies, to deal with it. And it, it's not – they're not really – uh, engaging in it for it could be a multiple reasons but I think one is just there's no benefit to them and and two there might be a bit of a security concern if you are listed as the pharmacy that's collecting uh, drugs especially now with the opioid epidemic and so I think that's part of the challenge and it should also be noted that when you think about unused pharmaceutical drugs and stockpiling uh, the majority of uh, respondents who said they are addicted to opioids 
I think about 60% said they started by using drugs that they find within the medicine cabinet from friends, friends and family. So that's another reason. I mean, you can attribute the opioid epidemic to unused drugs. Yeah. So what do you do with them? We'd have to start working on some of the policies. And I mean, you mentioned that here in, I don't know, it was at Ada County, we have like one pharmacy accepting. Mm-hmm. So is this an issue that may impact rural areas particularly hard? Absolutely. In fact, when you start thinking about the opioid epidemic, rural areas are hit harder per capita than metro areas or um, small cities and, and, uh, and big cities. So they're hit harder, but they also have less opportunities. Uh, again, we'll use Idaho as an example. Uh, there are 24 retail pharmacies in the entire state of Idaho that are listed as a take-back option. And f- those are located in 14 of the 44 counties. And the majority of the, these rural counties just don't have an option to dispose of them. Yeah, I can see that being a major issue and challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've talked a lot about, you know, prescription drugs or other drugs in in the water. Are there other contaminants that we might be terrified to learn are also in the water? Well, I guess this will be a plug for anybody who just wants to switch from drinking water to start drinking beer and wine or some <laughs> uh, something else. But yeah, there there are. And in fact, I uh, myself, in fact, uh, Dr. Witt at Boise State are uh, working on what we call contaminants of emerging concern. And these are contaminants that are not regulated um, to be out of our drinking water supply, but they are a concern. Like pharmaceuticals is one of them. Another one that you're starting to hear about now that's on the public and policy agenda are PFOSs and PFASs. And these are compounds that are used in oh my gosh, in everything. I look around this room right now and I'm seeing it. And uh, stuff like in our clothing, dental floss, Teflon, fire retardant, and so on. And these compounds are extremely persistent and a little bit goes a long way as far as like health impacts, human health impacts. And we're finding a lot in our drinking water supply, especially our groundwater supplies. So that's that's one that could be concern. Uh, often it depends on where you live, just to, you know, manufacturing, or if you're near a military base, often they have a high rate of those compounds. Uh, I'd just like to uh, piggyback with, uh, on what Monica was talking about is, Jackie, I don't know if you know this, but EPA lists several hundred contaminants in the water that we track, and we don't track them all in every mm-hmm. jurisdiction. So there's a very, very long list of things that contaminate our water. But there was an interesting study out of California that came out last year that basically said that when you looked individually at chemicals, like none of them were in violation of the standard. But when you looked at them all together, like the water was actually very, very contaminated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not just that you look at single dimensions, which is how we kind of deal with policy now but it's when you get them all together there's this synergy synergy that makes the, it, it to make water can, contaminated so it's really this complex thing that we don't do enough of uh and so I, i've done some a lot of research with the, the clean water act and what i can say is the general consensus among scholars is that water probably hasn't gotten worse since the 1970s uh but that's about all we know mm-hmm. um, because of the way that contaminants are tracked and how we measure and monitor all this. So nobody really knows whether or not our water has gotten better or worse or whether or not any of these policy ideas have worked in any real sense. Oh, it, absolutely. Especially when you start looking at these uh, smaller water systems because they don't have to start tracking or, or uh, for some of these CECs at all. Uh, some of the larger systems, like say Boise, they do have to track occasionally. doesn't mean they have to manage for it. They just have to start looking for it. And, and exactly what 
what Luke was saying, and that's what's interesting about the pharmaceutical issue, what I think is interesting, drugs are interesting. Uh, what's interesting about drugs is the fact that when you start studying, we're only looking at you know a small percentage of the drugs that are prescribed right now. So we don't even really know what's out there, and we're not really uh, paying attention yet to the interaction effect of these pharmaceuticals. How are they interacting? And how are they interacting with some of the other contaminants in the system? Well, that sounds kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get a beer after this. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jackie, I'll tell you, that's the thing about like researching environmental policy is that you realize how scary all this stuff is. Uh, you start researching it, and you're like, oh, this shouldn't be so bad. And then you're like, oh, my God, look at all the stuff that we're breathing in and drinking on a daily basis that, yeah, it gets worse. It's one of those things where maybe I don't want to know, but I also want us to be able to start working more on some of these issues, right? So I'm glad that people are doing research on these topics like both of you, but I'm glad I don't spend all my time researching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not depressing at all. Don't worry. <laughs> Never depressed. We we this is sometimes why we limit our conversations with Monica. Yes. <laughs> just one of many reasons. No, just kidding. Um well we're going to take a quick break. Um we'll be back here in a in a minute, so please come back and join us here on the big tent. We got a hot blast of airwaves coming down the tubes just for you guys today. This is Mac DeMarco. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've reached the best radio station under the Lord's sun. Bless you. All right, we're back on uh, the Big Tent Radio Boise, uh, KRBX 89.9 FM Caldwell, Boise. And so uh, one final question for uh, you, Monica, on the depressing subject of meth gators and pharmaceuticals is... How do we get rid of them? Like for individuals out there, if we want to, if we have stockpiles of pharmaceuticals we need to deal with, what do we do with them? Well, hopefully you'll uh, have an option to dispose of them and you could look at the drug enforcement uh, website and they will list pharmacies and or uh, other areas where you can take them back and if they have take back uh, dates and locations, that's one way. Uh, that's probably the best way to get rid of them right now. And what are they doing once we turn over our prescription drugs? Well, hopefully they are incinerating them. Typically what happens with unused drugs, even those that are uh, unused, like at a pharmacy, they take them back and they're incinerated. All right, so uh, wrapping up that conversation and transitioning very awkwardly to something more interesting and more exciting. I'm really great at transitions. <laughs> uh, Jen Snyder's taught me all that she knows about these transitions, and it just does not stick with me. No. Uh, let's talk about Garth Brooks. Yes. We were all at the concert. We all had an amazing time. The people watching was class, like first class. It was amazing. Uh, what was y'all's favorite part of the concert? Well, maybe first we'll give a little bit of background in case anyone hasn't been paying attention to Idaho News. Oh, yeah. Garth Brooks played here. Does it, this I, was the first concert on the Blue in Alverson Stadium. Gar it was the first time Garth Brooks has been here since the early 90s, I, I believe so. Um, so a pretty big deal overall. Yeah, I thought it was terrific. I, I couldn't believe I got a ticket. You know, what I think I loved about it is kind of seeing uh, the generational differences it wasn't just like one generation it was there it was like multiple generations all there because who doesn't love garth 
And it was a great show. It was a trip. Yeah, I mean, this was the largest crowd ever in Albertson Stadium, so there was tons of people. Uh, I think I calculated that it was that Albertson Stadium was the fourth largest city in Idaho uh, <laughs> for a, for a brief period of time on Friday and Saturday night. Um, just the uh, Meridian, Nampa, and Boise were the only cities that were bigger than it. Because it was about forty one thousand, forty one or forty two, forty two thousand. Yeah, so it was, there was a lot of people mm-hmm. there. Uh, maybe I got that wrong, but uh, there was a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Monica, you're right. Like you had from small kids to like 80 year olds but that's what happens when you're Garth Brooks and you play and you make number one hits for 30 years right and he played at what two and a half hours like it was- yeah it was a long concert uh, but he basically played his entire catalog, uh, almost all of his hits. One thing I really did uh, appreciate is that at the end, they came out to the, the, the encore. If you've ever been to a concert, everybody's like, oh, we're done. And then they come back out stage five minutes later. But uh, Garth was like, oh, wait, we're just going to go play all the songs that y'all have yelled out and held up signs for. So he basically just did this like 30-minute set of like playing requests, which I thought was exciting for everybody that just had these obscure songs that they wanted to hear. Oh, absolutely. It was uh, kind of funny, too. I was telling somebody out of state, I went to go see Garth, and they go, Garth from Wayne's World? <laughs> and I'm like, no, but that would also be really cool. Sure. Yeah, I would go see that. I would see that, too. Yeah. I, and I imagine, like, I, I feel like I know I had some former students that flew back into town for this concert. Mm. Like, I think a lot of people came from all over the state and the region um, to, to come to the concert. Overall, I think it worked really well being at Albertson Stadium. So I guess my big question is, um, why didn't you have Garth Brooks on the show? Uh, we sent a request, mm-hmm. but he just couldn't work it into a schedule. He really wanted to be here, though. I think he went and played with the Boise State basketball team instead. Oh, oh, gosh. oh gosh. He missed out on the Big Ten. Because yeah. me and Jackie, amazing at interviews. <laughs> yes, obviously you are amazing at interviews. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jackie, what was your favorite part of the concert? You know, I, I, was, I was just excited for kind of the experience, but he really is an excellent performer. I think even if you didn't necessarily know all the songs or that interested in country, he's high energy he engages the audience a lot and and like it worked well at albertson stadium the the sound was great i thought um for a big stadium we got really lucky with weather altogether it was just a really enjoyable evening yeah i agree like i had a really good time uh we managed to get seats uh that were in the shade so it was just kind of sitting outside listening to garth it was it was a good time yeah, I, and I hope that this actually um, opens up future concerts at Albertson Stadium um, because it, it gives us a much bigger venue, kind of that arena, that stadium type of um, entrance into those types of performers. And I feel like maybe that could help attract a few more big names to Boise. Do you think uh, they'll allow us to uh, conducting our lectures in Albertson Stadium <laughs> for classes? Monica, I think if you can get 40,000 people at your lecture, they would let you use Albertson Stadium. I think that's how I get tenure. Ooh, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you're definitely going to have to talk about meth gators. That's how you're going to have to advertise. That's what's going to bring people in. Also, did you know that they will be selling meth gator t-shirts in the near future? And uh, it's never too early to start giving. Well, I'm just waiting for the uh, screenplay, the movie to come out, because I'm sure somebody's writing that right now. I would be shocked if it's not already uh, copywritten. I actually started writing it um, two days ago, and therefore my syllabus will not be ready for the spring semester. Or, sorry, fall semester. (laughs) I'm sure the students will be quite happy to just read about meth gators instead. 
I bet they will be, <laughs> sad to say. Uh, that's more interesting than anything I talk about in class. And no, I don't have my syllabus together either. Mm, so one other thing, Monica, since we have you here, that's kind of been big news in terms of environmental politics and, and government, government is the moving of some government agencies out of D.C. into the West, um, including the BA, BLM that's moving to Denver, correct? No, BLM is moving to Grand Junction, oh, Grand Junction Colorado. Right. And actually, it should be noted, it's like the main department. Uh, so D.C. office has uh, several employees in different that work in different areas. And the Grand Junction, I believe, is just going to be the, the group that's kind of the main department head. So they're about nine. But they're also going to send other employees outside of D.C. throughout the West. Okay. And basically, I don't want to say shutter the D.C. office, but... It's going to be pretty close. What do you think the effects will of this type of change might be? I think it will have a, a lot of effects. I think it will help uh, some uh, interest groups and in industry. I think that's what they're looking for. I don't think it will be good, uh, honestly, for some areas, including a- agriculture that uses public lands. It's not going to be good. I think um, for recreationists or water quality and I think what the the long-term impact is going to be they'll move everyone out but then they realize they're going to need a DC presence because in DC you know that's where everything happens the BLM won't be at the table when you start talking about budgets and resources they need and so on they're going to be out Uh, it's in a way I kind of say it's almost like um, electing somebody to be a senator of your state and saying well we actually just want you here in the state and not in DC working for you and so they won't have anybody in DC working for them I think it's going to have some budget impacts sure well and I mean like Mm -hmm. these people are I mean some of them are called to Congress to testify or to explain what their budget requests or these types Mm -hmm. of things so I mean presumably they'll have to still travel back to DC absolutely they can and uh from grand junction it's not an easy flight and really i mean this really was politics just kind of pure and simple and in fact over 95 percent of the blm workforce is here on blm land and so it's not like they're not represented out here over 95 percent and so that's really what it's all about. That's interesting. So it really is just a political strategy. Yeah, and it doesn't always work out. Uh, in in the past, we moved, I think, it's in the National Fire Center here in Boise, which is terrific. But what happened was they ended up having to open up an office again in D.C. just because they needed somebody to be close to the policymakers and decision makers and for budgeting and so on. So it ended up having to reopen. Well, that's interesting. Well, it'll it'll be interesting to watch what happens with this move. Um, and, and the ag department has a few agencies also moving, right? Two agencies. They're they're pretty much research agencies. Uh, Economic Research Service. That's one, and they provide a lot of the data and resources that um, the ag sector really needs. And they're moving them out. Well, we'll see exactly. Kansas City, not exactly sure where. And essentially what's happening is a majority of, I think it is majority, I don't have the numbers yet, no one really has a solid number, of these employees are quitting I and leaving. Like two-thirds um, estimated. Absolutely. And it will, I think, decimate these research services. Well, thank you for another great episode of The Big Tent. Uh, Monica Hubbard, thanks for being on. And then... Uh, I think, uh, I don't remember who we have on next week, but it'll be another exciting episode. 
Yeah, I think at this point, Monica's like a Big Tent all-star. Um, so come back and join us anytime. Yeah, yeah I've been have... here twice. Thanks for having me. No, I thought this was your third visit. No, this is my twice visit. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think you're our most frequent guest at this point. Yes. All right. So uh, thank you for uh, listening to us again. This has been the Big Ten on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise.